So today we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. We have been studying verse by verse this amazing letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And as we have already seen, chapter 1 is divided into two sections. The first section is a passage of praise from verse 3 to verse 14. And the second section from verse 15 to 23 is devoted to prayer. As we said last week, Paul's praise leads to prayer. And we are looking at this prayer. Paul prays for the Ephesian believers to be filled with insight, to know Jesus better, to understand the fullness of God's blessings in Christ. And that should be all of our prayers. And I hope that we are here today to, to know this and understand the fullness of God's blessings. And the portion of Scripture we will be studying today is from verse 18 to verse 21 in chapter 1. And Paul's prayer contains three essential truths that he wants us to know that will give us assurance about our high calling as God's people. Three essential truths that will give us the, the hope and eternal perspective that we, we need to endure trials and the strength that we need to persevere in godliness. And that's what we will be looking at today. Please do stand with me as we read from Ephesians chapter 1, out of respect for God's word. We will be reading from verse 15 to verse 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 23. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in us when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet." And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray today that you would give us spiritual insight, that, Lord, we would know Jesus better, that we would understand the fullness of God's blessings in Christ that are available to us. And I do pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be walking around as spiritual lepers, if we, con if we confess to be Christians today, but that we really would live out these blessings that have been assured to your followers, your children. And Lord, I ask today, Lord, that please, that we would not leave here today without knowing you better, without understanding the inheritance that we have in Christ. Lord, that we would be able to apply these truths but I do pray today, if there's someone here that is not a believer, that doesn't understand these spiritual blessings that, that are for your children, that you would speak to their hearts and save them today. Give them ears to hear. Give them, give them 
eyes to see. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, that your spirit would, would help us to glorify you in every possible way. And that you would be pleased by all that we say and all that we do today. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. There is a, a popular worship song called Open the Eyes of My Heart by Paul Beloshi. Um, I'm not going to sing it, Pedro. I'm sorry, brother. Um, if you want to know how it goes, ask Pedro. He'll sing it for you. I'm just going to tell you what the words are. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy, holy. Um, Paul Beloshi, the author of this song, said that Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 inspired part of this song that, that he wrote. In an interview, he says that it's great hearing people resonate with this song and to say, I've been in religion a long time and that's not enough. I want to know Him. I want to see God. I want to wake up each day and be more aware of your presence in my life. I want to see your kingdom in the midst of this world so I can be a part of it and I can do my part. And Paul's prayer is very similar in this portion that we are studying today. Look at verse 18 there. Paul prays, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So Paul's prayer is that the eyes of our hearts, look there, may be enlightened. Now notice the difference between the song and Paul's prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with this song, but there is a difference to the prayer that Paul prays here. It's not open my eyes, but enlighten my eyes. Um, there, is a, there is a small difference, and I, and I want to show you that this afternoon. The Greek word for enlightened is photizo, photizo. It might sound familiar because that's where we get our English word photo from. And it means to, to shed rays, that is to shine, to illuminate, to, to give light, to make see. Um, as I said, it's where the, the word photo comes from. And, and a photo is a, is a picture made using a, a camera in which an image is, is focused onto, onto a film or other light-sensitive material and then made visible by, by permanent chemicals or digital treatment. And Paul describes unbelievers in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, as being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. In other words, sin blinds the minds of unbelievers and renders them incapable of understanding the truth of the gospel unless God enlightens their eyes. Unless God opens their blind eyes. But here Paul is, is writing to believers. In verse 18 and verse 19, the word saints is used. And um, the phrase, us who believe, is, is used. This is written to, to Christians. And even though God has opened our eyes to, to see Him and to respond to Him and to believe in Jesus Christ 
as Savior and Lord, we must still seek Him to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we will come to a deeper understanding of the truths of the gospel. He wants the gospel to be permanently made visible in the eyes of our hearts. In the eyes of our hearts. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And what Jesus means here is that our eyes are the vehicle or the instrument through which the desires of our hearts are, are manifested. And we look upon something and we desire it, isn't it? And the desire comes from our hearts, but it's expressed in, in our seeing, in our looking. And what your eyes desire tells you a lot about your heart. Remember the story of Samson. After Samson forsakes the Lord, after he betrays his faithfulness to the Lord, he explains his secret to Delilah, and she betrays him into the hands of his enemies, the, the Philistines. And what does the Lord have his enemies do to Samson? They put out his eyes. They, they plucked out his eyes. His eyes had almost been his undoing. He could not resist looking at beautiful women. And so what does the Lord do? The Lord takes his eyes because the Lord loves Samson so much. And Samson's eyes could have taken him to hell. And the Lord in his love for him takes Samson's eyes from him so that in the end, what happens? The eyes of, of Samson's heart, instead of being set on these these beautiful women is set again on, on glorifying God. So that at the last he can say, show me the pillars of this temple and the Lord give me the strength to bring it down on your enemies so that you will be glorified, so that the children of Israel will be glorified. I want your glory, God. That's what he says. But only after the Lord deals with the problem of his eyesight. You see, Samson's desire had been restored to, to the right place, to the glory of God instead of the glory of this world, instead of following the, the sinful desires which his eyes were looking at. And the Apostle Paul is praying here for us that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in this way, that we would know God, that we would know His truth, and that we would desire God and that truth above all else, all other false offerings of this world, that we would not be persuaded to love the things of the world, to love mammon, that we would not be influenced to, to love the world and the flesh and the devil, and that we would have our eyes set on God. And so he's saying, Lord God, enlighten their hearts. Let the deep desires of their hearts be, be set on you, on your, on your truth, and make them to have a passion for you. Let them long for you, for their hearts to love you above all else, with all of their heart and soul and mind and, and strength to want your glory. Give them heart enlightenment. 
And that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And that's what we need to be praying for, for one another. And having prayed that God would help us permanently see the, the photo of the gospel in, in the eyes of our hearts, Paul specifies three things that, that God wants us to know. And that's what we're going to look at today. My outline, the title of my message is Hope, Inheritance, and Power. And that is my outline as well this, this afternoon. In verse 18, we see the hope of His calling. Look there in verse 18 in your Bibles. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. So later on in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul talk about the hope of your calling. But here, he refers to the hope of his calling. And why does he do that? And Paul describes people who, who do not know Christ as strangers to the, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But as we've seen in, in, in verse 13 already, believers have been sealed in Christ with the, the Holy Spirit of promise. And when our eyes are enlightened to know all that God has, has promised to give us in Christ, it fills our hearts with, with hope. It fills our, our eyes with hope. And the hope of His calling is the certainty of increased blessings, is the certainty of, of joy in Christ beginning now, and lasting through all eternity. Both salvation and eternity with the Lord are, are tremendous gifts. Gifts that we cannot get anywhere else. Gifts that we shouldn't take for granted. And salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. We know that from Ephesians 2. And it comes at the cost of, of Jesus' death on the cross. But eternity with the Lord is a is a future gift that each believer can anticipate in this life. It's what we can look forward to, knowing that it is certain, knowing that it is there for us. And this future hope is a tremendous motivation for, for, for future living, for, for holy living, when we share our faith with people, and for eternity, for the eternity that we look forward to. And we live in light of that eternity. We don't live just a temporary life. There is an eternal goal. As we've seen in verse 13, believers have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And since God's promises are sure, since God's promises are certain as He is faithful, the hope of our calling is not something vague. It's not something abstract. It's not something mystical. It's not wishful thinking that everything will, will work out for our good. And rather, if we are called according to God's purpose, then we know that He is actively working out all things, even the bad things, all things according to Romans 8, together for our good, both in time and in eternity. So even in the most difficult trials, even in the most difficult circumstances that we may be facing, as a Christian, we can be filled with hope. We can be filled with hope. And not just Paul says, 
so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, so that you will know. He is praying that the Holy Spirit would give you a deep and a real and a personal grasp and understanding of these real realities, of these great realities. Your hope must be grounded your hope must be grounded in the truth of His calling. Not in our feelings, which come and go, but in the truth of His calling. And your hope must be based upon God's eternal choice of you. And Paul has spoken about this. Paul has given us this foundation and helped us understand how God's adoption works, how His gospel works how His salvation works. And our hope is grounded in this. He's given us a substantial and a tangible hope that we can cling on to when the storms of life batter our souls. And we can't live the Christian life without this hope that our salvation is grounded in Christ and Christ alone, His eternal choice. God has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is a tangible reality. That is not something abstract. That is something we get to enjoy as Christians while we're here on this earth and for all eternity. Has it ever struck you how many hopeless people there are around you? You know, when you see people you know, falling for schemes and, and tricks. What's really happening is that somebody is playing on their, on their hopes. They feel hopeless, and somebody is offering them a, a magic potion, a, a silver bullet, and, and, and they go for this in droves, hoping that this will change their lives. Hoping for the best, maybe expecting the worst. But the most hopeful people in the planet are Christians. They should be Christians. They should be. Because our hope is not in the perishable things of this earth. Our hope is certain. Our hope is guaranteed. And as Christians, we should be filled with, with hope because we know that God has secured our salvation. He has called us to salvation. Our faith in Christ did not originate with, with our feeble will, but with the sovereign will of God. And we know that He will fulfill all of His promises to us. Not some of them, all of them. We will be with Him forever in heaven, where there will be no suffering, where there will be no tears, where there will be no death. That is a reality, a tangible reality. For those who are in Christ, we will be perfect in righteousness and in love for God and for one another. That is a perfect reality, a tangible reality. We will enjoy perfect holiness in a perfect environment where nothing will be spoiled by sin. We have that to look forward to. That is a tangible reality. And even more, we will be in the presence of of the one who loved us and redeemed us with his blood. 
And this assurance of God's gracious love for us should increase our love for God. It should drive us to want to know Him better. And we need to pray for each other, just like the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. We need to pray for others. We need to pray for ourselves that God will enlighten the eyes of our hearts through His Word so that we will know what is the hope of His calling. This is a hope we need. This is a hope that we can cling on to in difficult times. Let's pray this prayer for each other. But secondly, we see in verse 18 the riches of His glorious inheritance. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. And then He goes on to say, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, the word inheritance comes up. We've already looked at that in verse 14. But notice now, Paul connects hope with inheritance. He connects hope with inheritance. Now, this can be taken two ways. It could be taken to be speaking of God's inheritance of us, or it could be taken to be speaking of the inheritance that that God gives to us. And Paul speaks of both of these in his writings, and it's a it's a good legitimate debate as to which one it is, but, but I don't want to have that debate tonight, okay? Maybe we can do that on, on Wednesday or Thursday when we meet in our home groups. But all I want you to see is Paul is holding out to the Ephesians the, the riches that have been bestowed upon them by God in Christ Jesus. So whether it's the riches of being chosen as God's inheritance or whether it's the riches of being given an inheritance by God, we have this mercy and grace from God beyond all comparison. And the Apostle Paul wants the Ephesians to see this. He wants us to see this. He wants our eyes to have understanding. He wants our desires to be focused on the riches that are above all worldly riches. Remember, going back to Samson, as Samson almost got himself eternally killed through his eyes, desiring the, the things of the world. And so we as believers can get ourselves messed up by desiring the things of this world, isn't it? And here's the Apostle Paul saying, I want the eyes of your heart to see the, the riches that God gives, which, which cannot be corrupted by by moth and rust, which cannot be stolen by a thief, which cannot be destroyed by a storm. I want your eyes fixed on those riches. I want you to desire these riches. And this week we were watching a show on, on Netflix called Win the Wilderness. And six couples, they compete to win a a farm in Alaska, a farm that has been built by this couple over 30 years. And this farm was, um, is now going to be bequeathed to the the winner of these challenges. And the couple who built up this farm, they don't have children of their own. And the winners of this competition become the legal heirs and inherit this farm and all the buildings built by this 
couple over this 30-year period that they've lived in. And while I was watching this, I was reminded again of the lengths that people would go to to obtain such a, a worldly inheritance. And they had these very unusual challenges to prove that they could survive the, the harsh winters in Alaska and proving that they had these survival skills and the, the perseverance and the stamina that was needed to, to live in such an isolated environment. But here the Apostle Paul is saying to us, we need the perseverance and the stamina to live in a, a world that is surrounded by darkness. He's telling us not to lose our focus. The things of the world are temporary. The things of the world can, can get corrupted. The things of the world can get destroyed. They can get stolen. They can get lost. Don't desire the things of the world. We have been lavished with a mercy and a grace and riches from God beyond all comparison. And Paul wants us to get a, a glimpse of our, of our glorious future so that we will live in light of it right now while we still have breath in our lungs. And either way you interpret this verse, whether, whether we are heirs to the vast fortune in, in heaven or, or whether we are God's special inheritance, both are true. The application is the same. We must live as citizens of heaven who belong to God. We must live as saints. We must live as God's holy people, peculiar people that are separate from this, this evil world. And our future is that throughout eternity, we will actually share in Christ's glory. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 quickly. In Ephesians 5 verse 27, Paul says that God's aim, look at verse 27, is that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. In Colossians chapter 1, 27, Paul says something similar. He says that to the saints, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is in you the hope of glory. And Apostle Paul is praying that you would understand that you are God's inheritance, that you have been given an inheritance by God. And do you really believe this? Do you really believe this? And Paul is praying that we would. Paul is praying that we would. Let me help you to apply this, this truth practically here. If you really believe that God considers you His portion, if you really believe that God considers you His Inheritance, wouldn't that change the way that you think about yourself? Wouldn't that give you a great emotional and, and, and spiritual stability? As you see people in your, in your workplace or people in your, in your school getting promotions and, 
and meeting their, their targets and getting salary increases. Believing this truth will protect you against envy, wouldn't it? If your eyes are focused on what eternity has in store for you, when you are being treated badly by others in the workplace or at school or college, believing this truth, will be, you, you will be able to rise above the mistreatment because you know that the Lord is with you, that He is your eternal inheritance, that you are His inheritance, that the Lord has chosen you, that you have been adopted into His family, and you are His special possession. It will also go a long way towards empowering your, your disposition, which in turn will make for fruitful and forgiving relationships. Just ask Joseph. Remember in Genesis 3, in Genesis 39, when he got mistreated so badly and his eyes were set on the Lord, despite what people were saying about him, despite the evil slander? Christian. Remember, this is addressed to Christians. If you're a Christian today, be encouraged that the wealth of your inheritance, God as your God, means that you don't have to search for your identity outside of Christ. You don't have to search for your identity apart from Christ. You are God's special possession. You are wealthy in this capacity beyond your your, your wildest dreams. Christ wanted you. And he made sure that you came to him. And that makes you rich. That makes you rich. That makes you loved. Loved by the king of all kings. So live like it. Live like it. Isn't it true that we often live like, like spiritual paupers sometimes as we... As we Look to the world for our identity. As we look to the world for, for meaning. When we fail to, to grow in our, in our knowledge of, of God, then we, we fail to rest in, in God's knowledge of us, and we, are, and we are the poorer for it. Anxiety and strained relationships, and the sense that we are, are failures, and, and even depression can arise from such an identity crisis. The story is told of John Paul Getty, the wealthy American industrialist. He was once in a search of a particular painting that he, that he wanted so much. And he ordered his employees to search the world for this, this piece of, of art that, that he could purchase. And after an extensive search over a number of months, he was told that the painting had been found. It was in one of his warehouses. He had already bought it. He had already owned it. He just did not know it. And Christians are richly blessed in Christ, but I think, sadly, many, many of us live as if, as if we do not know the special treasure that we possess. That is our inheritance. John MacArthur, he, he makes this comment. He says, Until we comprehend who we 
truly are in Jesus Christ, it is impossible to live an obedient and fulfilling life. Only when we know who we really are can we live like who we are. And for this, we need the enlightening work of God in our hearts. This is what Paul was praying for. He desired for these believers to know for sure that the privilege of belonging to God as they were, were theirs. With such a sense of identity, an amazing a lifestyle emerges. A lifestyle of confidence, a lifestyle of, of joy, a lifestyle of gratitude. And finally, God wants you to know what the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. That's my, that's my third point. We see here His power in verse 19 to verse 21. And here Paul is piling up the words to describe God's power. He's just piling it on here. And Paul adds it. Look at verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power. Sorry. And then he goes on to say that this power is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Wow. Let's stop and park here for a moment. Wow. Wow. Now, many commentators, they, they, they argue that Paul's objective here in this section is to give the, the Christian assurance and certainty in their faith. And, and he definitely does that. If we are genuine believers, it's because of God's power, not because of, of our own. We've already seen that. I've, I've already said that our salvation took nothing less than God's mighty power to bring us to faith. Salvation is not a, it's not a, a joint project where we, where we teamed up with God to, to bring this salvation about. And Paul will go on to say we were, we were dead in our sins. We didn't go running after God. We were at the bottom of that ocean, remember? Our corpses were rotting, being eaten by the fish. We didn't run after God. God reached down into that dark pit and pulled us out and saved us and raised us up. And Paul wants to encourage us as we, we realize that our salvation is evidence of, of God's surpassing great power at work in us. This is Paul's main aim here, I think, in, in this passage. But also there's, there's something else here that I think God wants us to know. They will help us when we go through trials. God wants us to know this immeasurable greatness of His power. They can help us through our trials. They will help us persevere and not give up. Turn with me to Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. In verse 11 and verse 12, Paul prays. This is a very similar prayer, a parallel prayer. He's praying for the church therein. 
Colossae. And Paul prays that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, God's glorious, mighty power enables us to endure this trial that we may be facing. His glorious, mighty power enables us to endure steadfastly, patiently, and joyfully with a, with a thankful heart to the Lord. A thankful heart to the Lord. You know, we all have those days when, when the Lord seems so near and dear, don't we? Those are wonderful days. But yet there are, there are other times when He, he seems so far away and, and distant. And at times it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And you combine that with our, with our sins, and we have a recipe for hopelessness, isn't it? A recipe for hopelessness. And Paul tells us here that this is unnecessary. That this is unnecessary as he reminds us of the incredible power that God makes available to his people. And he prays that the community of faith will, will grow together in their knowledge of God with the result of growing together in being holy, in being different in this culture. And this is possible. This is possible because of the power that God has made available towards us. Towards us. And Paul uses a historical example to help us understand this truth so that we will pursue God more and experience Him better in our lives. Look there in verse 20. He uses the historical example of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Along with His ascension and His enthronement as Lord of all in verse 21. In other words, Paul is not exhorting these believers to, to supernatural living by some kind of, of airy, fairy pep talk. No, he's pointing to a historical reality that God powerfully raised Jesus from the dead all the way to the highest throne where, where he has been ruling and where he has been reigning ever since. And it is, it is precisely such power that, that Paul says God makes available to us. Wow. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. Wow. And I wonder that Paul could say in Philippians 4.13, while he was still in prison, I can do all things through Christ. Who? strengthens me. Christian, New Life Church, as we grow in our knowledge, as we grow in our experiential knowledge of God, we will also grow in our conviction that the power, the ability that we need to live such an exceptional life as, as God purposes is not just wishful thinking. It's not just for those super saints over there who, 
who are in the front row. I'm, okay? It's for all of us, even in the back row. You know? <laughs> it's for all of us. This is not wishful thinking. Rather, we truly have all we need to live a life of godliness for God's glory. Do you believe this? Paul prays that you would. Believe what the scriptures tell you today, who you are in Christ. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Don't lose sight of the, the fact that we have been called out of the world. Don't live like the world. The world would want you to tie your identity to your, your neighborhood in, in which you live, to the, to the car that you drive. The world wants you to tie your identity to the, to the brand of clothes that you wear, to the career or the profession that you have. The better, the more exclusive our, our clothing or our car, the greater sense of, of personal value we are supposed to have, isn't it? And the result is arrogance and then the, the tremendous financial, emotional, relational, and, and spiritual cost to maintain such an identity. And all too often, those who, who fall for such lies of self-importance, well, if they're honest, they will confess that they still do not know who they are. And when we lose who we are in Christ, our loss of our, of our identity results in a loss of security, a loss of joy, a loss of confidence, and a whole lot more. Now, being popular or a successful athlete or a beautiful woman or successful in your career may be, may be the source of your identity. But again, if you lose that, if you lose all of that, how do you cope with the sense of being a failure? Where is your hope then? When you lose your job, when you're in a car accident and you, you have that terrible scar on your face, where is your purpose in pursuit when the bottom falls out? And Paul prayed that we would come to know our true identity. That we belong to God. That we are His possession. His special people. His adopted children. And as you can see, this, this matter of our identity in Christ is of immense practical importance. The power of God in Christ assures us that we can overcome whatever obstacles the Lord allows in our life. And we will persevere to the end. And the proof is in the power that we experience as we persevere. As we persevere. John MacArthur comments, he says, Since he has such a unique and intimate relationship with the redeemed whom he loves, all his power will be used in their behalf to fulfill his loving purpose for them. I like the way he says that. His loving purpose towards us, the ones he has chosen, the ones he loves. 
And our purpose is to know God. Our purpose is to experience God, to know Him better in a much deeper way than you already know Him right now. The Apostle Paul is praying that you would understand that you are God's inheritance, that you've been given an inheritance by God, that you have all the power that you need to live a victorious, godly life. Do you really believe that? And Paul is praying that you would. And the elders are praying that we would. And I'll see, let's pray for each other to believe this life-changing truth. And if you do not have this power, never experienced this before, maybe you are not a Christian in the first place. Maybe you've never known who God is through Jesus Christ. Please examine your heart tonight as to whether you are really in the faith. If not, don't leave here discouraged. There is hope. God secures those that He loves. He saves those that He chooses. God is speaking to you tonight. Perhaps tonight is the night of your salvation. If you're not sure, please come and speak to one of the elders and allow us to show you from the scriptures, how you can know for sure. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord, that is just filled, Lord, with practical application. But Lord, all of that application is, is useless if we are not willing to be the doers of your word. And Lord, please, I pray tonight for all the saints here, Help us to know of your great love towards us. Help us to know who God is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us to know your loving purposes for us. Help us to experience you, Lord, in a much better way than we have already. And Lord, may we live lives that reflect you in our trying times. May we live lives that reflect you in our good times. May we live lives that are thankful in all times. And may we live lives that show the world around us how beautiful Jesus is. For your glory and for our joy, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.